Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track podcast. I'm Stu Whiffin, your host. I hope you're doing well today. Let me tell you about today's guest. Today's guest is Mark Moore of S Express, and it's an incredible chat. Obviously, I'm not incredible. I'm just a bit lispy, and I mumble a bit, and probably say her too much, but Mark is amazing. Mark's life has been amazing. He's transcended so many genres and music scenes, and always right in the thick of it, and it's a two-part of this episode because I could have just spoke forever um, about this because there, there was just so much amazing stuff to, to discuss and, and, and Mark's a great talker and, and I'm I'm going to shut up and just let the podcast unfold because you're in for a real treat here, guys. Um, before we do, big thanks to 76 for producing this. Thanks to Brad Acton for doing the video content. Thanks to My Name Is Ad for doing the artwork. Big shout out to everybody on the Distraction Pieces Network. Big thanks to you lot for listening, liking, supporting, tweeting and all that. Anyway, it's off the beaten track podcast with Mark Moore of S-Express. Enjoy. It's off the beaten track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Stew with him. Right, we are recording. We are at the Huxton Square Bar and Kitchen, who have kindly let me record my podcast here today. I've done a big day of them, and this is the last one of the day. I'm by no means the least. Uh, it's going to be uh, a lot of fun because Mark is, uh, is an old friend. I think I can call you an old friend yeah. now, right? It's been I a while. I should think so. And, uh, <laughs> and he was one of the first guests to be kind enough to come on to off the beaten track podcast and yeah you're here today for off the beaten track um mark moore how are you i'm all right good to see you again Stuart. thank you thank you um it's uh, we, we've been standing outside and it, it's normally before we do any recordings with people i'm always mindful not to sort of talk about anything that i plan to talk about on the podcast but You've used Monday as an excuse, and, and I've, I've been up <laughs> since six o'clock, and we've tried to have a conversation outside about certain different things, but at no point did we remember anyone's names yeah. or anything, did we? It was just <laughs> lots of ums and ahs about people that uh, we was trying to sort of reference for things. So, yeah, uh, we, we've been forgetting really obvious names yeah. that, you know, we're going to remember it a bit later on and think, oh my God, just I'm going to forget. Just going to burst that. out in the middle of this yeah. podcast. Yeah, it was him. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, so... 
Right, well, we, we might as well just go straight to it. So the song that I generally try to get the podcast rolling with um, is the song with the greatest intro. Uh, yeah. Well, that's got to be um, The Temptations, Papa Was a Rolling Stone, like the full version, yep. which is about eight, eight minutes long yep. or something. Um, you know, it's, it kind of just... It just keeps building and building and building, and it's really kind of stripped down and minimal with the, just that beat, that that kind of yeah. you know, that's it's it's like a, it's not even a, a, a heavy beat. It's just kind of tap, you know, a cymbal tapping away, a, a hi hat sorry tapping away, and a, a beat, and then you got all these strings coming in, really kind of haunting strings, and um, yeah, and it, it's it's, it's just the bass so, line, right? Yeah, and the bass line, yeah, and it's just so moody and and so brilliant. And it was um, produced by Norman Whitfield, of course, yeah. um, who did loads of people like Rolls Royce and loads of Motown. Um, and it, that was during his psychedelic soul period. Because it was a big departure for the Temptations from you know yeah. the, the early Motown singles, which were far more exactly pop three minute pop songs. Yeah. you know, and they weren't really um, a social commentary at all. And and this this was this was a kind of you know this was almost like uh, a whole story about uh, you know their, their 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 father who'd who'd you know kind of gone off the off the rails a bit. Um, yeah, and it, and it kind of also echoed a lot of um, stuff that was going on in the Temptations' lives. There was a, a lot of, um, you know, problems with drugs and with David Ruffin and uh, the singer, and they kept leaving and trying to come back. And um, and also there was the whole '60s civil rights thing yeah. going on. So it was a really, it was a really heavy time. It was a really kind of positive time at the same time. Um, and this song just really captures that feeling of the late 60s of that kind of hope and that kind of um, that kind of scariness as well it's and it, all and there it, and I guess it, Vietnam yeah um, Vietnam and, exactly and, and, and yeah. I guess it, you know uh, not just the Temptations but a lot of the Motown artists were probably much against Berry Gordy's pop mind business sense yeah were, were Experimenting, obviously Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye, what's, what's going, going on? on? You know, and yeah. you know, even even you know, acts like Dinah Ross, and that was starting to be a bit more experimental and uh-huh. and, and to move away from those three minute pop gems, and yeah. you know, wanted to sort of spread their wings a little bit. I think yeah. it was a a really exciting time for for that music at that time, and as you say, it was a pretty heavy time. Yeah, and um, I mean, yeah, I'm wondering if this all came about. Of you know. I think it came out the same year as Sgt. Pepper's. Was it 67 or was it the year later, 68? I'll have to look it up. But, um, you know, obviously Sgt. Pepper's and um, Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys did a lot to change the way people thought about albums. Um, you know, before, albums were just, you know, all the singles collected on an album with, yeah. like, a few fillers and stuff. Uh, it, 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 was all, it was mainly about the singles before that. Um, and suddenly it became about the albums, you know, after Sgt. Pepper's. And What's going on being a prime example yeah, of, of exactly. something that, I guess, you know, a concept album, can we call it? And, yeah. and for something that, you know, yes, you can listen to Mercy, Mercy Me or, or what's going on as, as a single, but it's part of a body of work isn't it yeah. it's you know it, the whole thing has a flow to it yeah. i think the album from start to finish yeah that's right they were, they were going in there conceiving a whole album rather than yeah stringing it together a few singles do you think that exists still 
Um, yeah, I think it does still exist. I mean, we live in an age now where people just want to cherry pick tracks off albums. But um, no, I think there's definitely people still doing it. Um, yeah, can't think of any offhand, but yeah, so, <laughs> I hope that they are. <laughs> you know, to, 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 I'm sure. Well, obviously, throughout this podcast, we're going to talk about your, you know, your career to date. Um, but what, what obvious of changes have you seen for better or worse in the industry? You know, over. You know, let, let's go from, say, I don't know, late 80s to, to now in regards to the, the nurturing of bands and the cutthroat side of the industry. And, you know, what, what, from your experience of S-Express and stuff like that, did, you know, did you had a chance to experiment? And I don't know, I'm, I'm not too sure what you're... Yeah, we, we um, you know, I, I signed to um, Rhythm King Records, uh, which was a subsidiary of Mute Records. And yeah, as, as we all know, Mute um, was Daniel Miller and he signed Depeche Mode and he, he signed all those kind of, um, you know, he had a lot of experimental electronic stuff on the label. I'm interviewing Nitsa Ebb on Sunday. Ah, fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, uh, with Rhythm King, it didn't feel like... Um, you had to do things a certain way. It felt like there was still a lot of experimentation you could do. Um, and and that's what we, we did because they were a new label and they didn't really know how to run a record label. Yeah. But they started having these hits. But, you know, we kind of did everything wrong because we'd we'd put out a few singles and then we'd be like, oh, God, they've, they've become hits. Um, we haven't finished the album yet. And then we'd be doing the album and the album would be finished like... After after three singles had been out or something, you know we did it completely wrong wrong way round. You feel pressure. Yeah, I did once that once the singles became hits. Yeah, um, there became a bit of pressure uh, because I just wanted to put out twelve inches. I didn't want to bother with an album. Yeah, um, and they were like, no, 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 you've got to do an album. Um, and I, I thought that was playing the game really. Um, so yeah, we did loads of things wrong and really st- sort of stupid things like. Um, uh, I guess not not putting out um, yeah we should have just done the album first and then put out the singles yeah and, you know, but was that one. just a, a product of of just the way it fell in regards to yeah. you know you, you you had the the singles and they become, yeah the first one took off straight yeah. away so yeah it was panic stations it, yeah it was yeah. kind of like, it, it scuppered all the plan the plan was to be this this kind of culty strange band for a while yeah. before you know maybe we'd start getting a, a bit commercially successful later on down the line did you expect pop stardom not straight away. Yeah. My, my, my thing was, yeah, we're going to just make, put out these really weird kind of 12-inch singles. And then, you know... But in the back of your mind, you did think, yeah, you want to be big at the end of the day. Yeah. You, want to, you want to do, you know, reach a lot of people. But not at that early stage. It was I, I was really looking forward to doing the whole, you know, the whole uh, route that you're meant to go. Yeah. Where you kind of... A bit you know, more organic. Yeah, then. exactly. Okay. Um, well, I mean, in regards to choosing the Temptations, when, when you sent your list over, um, I was quite surprised. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a stone-cold killer of an intro, but I just thought it you, you might have something more dance music-based. Like, yeah. Was, was there any other considerations aside from... from I, I just... When, when you gave me the list of, um, of categories, I, I just thought the first things that came into my head yeah and i did read it back afterwards and think like, yeah i wonder if they want more dance floors no stuff. not at all no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. it, it's, you know as i say on, on, on many episodes of this like um 
I, I just want the guests to be honest. Yeah. And and if you go with your gut from the off, which yeah. is brilliant. And and looking at track three, uh, without sort of mentioning what it is until you know we'll get to that shortly. But I just <laughs> I, I love the honesty and yeah. like because I've been so blessed throughout the whole of these these podcasts so far that everybody has just chosen songs that aren't some avant-garde <laughs> because you're at school and, yeah. uh, and so everybody's just chosen something which is yeah which is just honest and not necessarily what will be deemed cool <laughs> and uh but look we, 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 let's let's move to track two then and uh which is the first song that you remember having an emotional impact on you yeah um i, I remember being about four years old must have been um and listening um I remember being at home and the, my mum was there, but she was in the kitchen or something. I was just on my own and the radio was on. And I remember uh, the Beatles' Hey Jude came on. And and it kind of... I remember listening to it and it was such a beautiful song. And I remember just having this strange feeling where you felt really sad and kind of emotional. It, it felt like it was a really sad song. But but at the same time, it's a really happy song. Yeah. And I was like, well, it's happy and it's sad at the same time. And, and I'd not really experienced that with, you know, with music yeah. before. You'd hear music in the background. It would just be like a pop song. It would yeah. be, be happy. Yeah. But this was that mix of happy and sad together where you felt so happy you wanted to cry. Yeah. And, um, and it went on and on and on. And, you know, most of these songs would last for like three minutes and it's just carried on and it kind of completely changed by the end. Yeah. And I just remember being completely blown away by it. Um, and, you know, I, I, when I wrote this down for, for you know, for you guys and, and to let you know, I, I looked it up on YouTube and they've got the, this amazing clip of um, them on the David Frost show, the Beatles on the David Frost show. And um, it's just this amazing moment where uh you know it focuses on them quite close up and then about halfway through when it gets into all the you know the, the sing-along bit yeah. um all the audience sort of get up and they all flock around the Beatles and they're all there and it's kind of like it's 1967 and it's almost like this is a prediction of multicultural Britain, what it's going to be like in in twenty years' time, whatever. Um, and you you know you've got this like really handsome um, guy in a suit with a turban on, who's singing along, you know. To, uh, and then there's um, people of all races. They've got their arms around each other and they're swaying along and singing along to Hey Jude. And it's girls and it's boys. It's multigendered. It's it's just fantastic. And I just thought this is. This is like one of those things where, you know, maybe music doesn't change, um, change things directly, but, but it, music definitely does change things, um, even just subconsciously in the fact that it kind of uh, gives, it, it, it gives encouragement and power and um, just life to the people who are going to be making the changes, you know, and, you, you know, even seeing something like that, uh, is going to be changing the way people perceive society. Just all these people from girls and boys, different races, having fun together. And, and every time I see that video, it brings it. To, it makes me want to cry. Yeah. Just from pure joy again. And fast um, forward fifty years, and yeah, that song still encourages mass sing-alongs, arms yeah. around each other, yeah. and exactly. you know, it's, yeah. it's, and and you're right. It's a 
it's a somber song, yet it's quite euphoric. Yeah. You know, with the fact that it does bring that kind of arms in the air sing along at the end. Yeah. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a strange sounding record. It's really hard to get that happy and sad yeah. feeling in the song at the same time. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a real it's a real talent to be able to do that. <laughs> so you, you said you was four then, and so must so have been. Where, uh, where where was you then? Where was you born? Um, I was I was born in London. Um, and I kind of lived around Hampstead and Golders Green. Uh, we kind of moved around a lot in North London. So I was kind of brought up um, there. And I went to school in Hampstead, went to Hampstead Parochial School, which is just behind the Everyman Cinema. Um, and so what was, what was the setup? Mum, dad, brother, sisters? Uh, um, one brother. Um, my father and mother divorced, so my mother was bringing this up. So um, how, how old was you when that happened? Uh, that I was about, f- yeah, again, probably about four when that oh, happened. Wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess I was feeling that as well. It's yeah. Suddenly a bit. <laughs> That's a lot <laughs> for a four-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, did Did Mum have music on around the house? My mum had brilliant music and awful music as well, equally. Um, she had all Beatles stuff. She loved the Beatles. She had James Brown stuff. She had Atlantic, Motown, Stax. Um, then she had things like. Um, Sonny and Cher and uh, um, yeah, musicals, all the music, yeah. musical soundtracks, My Fair Lady and, yeah. and Sound of Music and stuff like that. So I was kind of brought up on a lot of the good stuff and a lot of the kind of film musicals as yeah. well. Like I listened to the Oliver album and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was brought up on, on all that. So would you play the records as well? Yeah, I'd play the records, yeah. Um, and I guess the first music I started asking her to buy for me was um, Walt Disney albums. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd get all Mary Poppins and things like that and sing along to that. Why, why do you think that was? Because you could connect it visually to the, the films? Yeah, or? I think so. I'd, I'd see the films and I'd know the songs and, um, yeah. But at the same time, I loved all those... Um, they're just songs which, as a kid, they just they just... You just love them, and there are things like Aretha Franklin, God bless her, she, mm-hmm. she's left us now, but, you know, things like Respect and um, all those early Motown stuff, you know, they're, they're really kid-friendly, you know. It's, it's, as, as, as amazing as it is, it's bubblegum pop, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's all them hook lines and yeah. mega choruses, it's, it's pure pop, isn't yeah. it? And, and, I, and I think that's, as a kid... I think it's easy to yeah. to get pulled into the sweetness of that. Um, and, and James Brown, um, uh, Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, was was just like something I'd play over and over again. Um, Sly and the Family Stone, I Want to Take You Higher. Uh, so would you see, a, a, could you understand maybe a difference in stuff like that from the Motown stuff, like the more groove-based stuff, you know, was was you dancing in the living room? Yeah, you'd be jumping around, but you didn't know the difference between these things. You you really didn't, you know, I didn't know the difference between Motown and Stax and yeah. Atlantic, and they do have uh, different sounds, mm. you know. Um, yeah, I didn't know until later on, but um, I just thought we were brought up in a really great time. We'd, you know, like we'd get up to go to school and we mum would cook us breakfast and we'd sit there with Radio 1 on, and, you know, I just remember it would be like 
Isaac Hayes, Shaft would be on the radio, yeah. and then it would be David Bowie, Life on Mars, yeah. and you know, then it would be the sweet um, blockbuster, yeah. and then it would be Bob and Marcia, Young, Gifted and Black. Yeah. And you just think, this is Radio 1, and they're playing this amazing multicultural soundtrack, and you're, you're going out to school with these songs in your head, singing Young, Gifted and Black. Yeah. And it's, it was just so healthy. It was so... Was, um, it, was it important? Was, you know, yeah. Was it something that you, you'd obsess over? Well, you'd obsess over those great songs. Mm. I remember there was... Um, you know, the only way you could listen to these songs were if you bought the records, which was expensive, or if someone, one of your friends had it, you'd go around and listen to it at their place. Or if you heard it on the radio, if it, you know, you'd have to sit there for ages waiting for it to come on the radio, your favourite song. Um, and then they did this thing called Dial-A-Disc, <laughs> where you could ring up, I can't remember what number it was, but you'd ring up and they'd play a, a song from the hit parade. <laughs> Really? Uh, yeah, and you can listen to it. I remember dialing it over and over, my mum going completely mad because the phone bill had been driven right up. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing a connection here. So is there a reason that you still DJ with a telephone, uh, a telephone receiver as a headphone? Maybe that's why I, I have that. Yeah, I like to think you're just dialing the disc when you're out DJing. Brilliant. Oh, oh that's fantastic. Um, all right, so for track three, Mark... Um, yeah. we're going to move on to, to school and, and the song that, that reminds you of, of, of your time at school. And, and I'll, I'll, what I'll ask as well is, with this question, is was this sort of primary school or senior school? Yeah. Primary school, uh, that would have been at Hampstead Parochial. Um, it was really weird because there was six boys in the class and 25 girls. <laughs> so it was a really odd setup. Um, and of course, all the girls made made a huge fuss over us. So, you know, you felt really kind of wanted and kind of yeah. special being in this school, just because there were so few boys. All the girls loved you. Yeah. Um, and I remember just going to the fairground, and yeah, the, the record I've chosen is because what was the question about the, the, this third record? The song yeah. reminds you of school. Reminds you of school. Yeah, I just remember going to, you know, Hampstead Heath. They'd have a fun fair, and you'd go there and you'd sit on, you know, on the those things that spin round and round. I can't remember what they're called. Um, and they'd had this amazing soundtrack. And one of the ones that stuck out was the Rubettes "Sugar Baby Love." Yeah, <laughs> and they've got that amazing falsetto bit. Yeah, which um, we discussed at school that. It couldn't be that guy that sung it. It's got yeah. to be. It's got to be a girl that sung it. You yeah. know, <laughs> amazing session singer hit the high note for him. Brilliant. And you'd you'd be on these on the um, fun fair listening to something like that. And every time I hear that song, I think of the fun fair. I think of being at school again. Um, and the, going to the fun fair was a brilliant place to hear music. You know, on the yeah. ghost train. I remember hearing Fire. You know, by um, Arthur. Uh, Brown. Yeah, yeah, Arthur Brown. Um, yeah, and stuff like that. It was it was so. It's weird because the, the fair comes to to the park near where we live still. Yeah, and uh, my kids, you know, that they go there, but it's not the event that it was for me growing up. Like uh -huh. the fair when that come to town, that was the point where you'd go and oh, I can't remember the name of that bloody ride either. What are we like, Mark? The one where you get on it and you spin and, oh, yeah. God, what's I it called? The Waltzer? Must have been the Waltzer, yeah. And, uh, and, and you, 
and, and everyone will stand around that. Yeah. And they'd have a big sound system and they'd be the guy doing the scream if you want to go faster yeah, and, and, yeah, and, yeah. and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there'd always be some kind of rough kid that had run away with a fair that was probably too old to be chatting up the girls that were uh, ranging around <laughs> there. But, um, but it was one of them things where the fair was one of them things where you'd get to see all the kids from the other schools yeah. as well because everyone yeah. would gravitate. And it, where we lived, it was this thing that every year it was like, our school was going to have a massive fight with the other school. And none of these fights ever, ever happened. But every year it was like, yeah, we've, got, we've all got to go over to the fair because that school's fighting that school. And it was just this massive event, the fair. And, and it was just, I don't know, it was just, I think it was the, the main attraction was just you could go and see all the kids from the other schools and, yeah. and see what they looked like when they weren't in their school uniform. And, you know, <laughs> and, you, know and you could get to chat to girls from other schools. It was, it was great. Yeah. I don't think it's the... It's not, yeah, I doubt it's the same though, is it? I guess theme parks have happened. And, yeah. uh, the, you know, the, walt- the waltzers aren't uh, quite what they, uh, <laughs> not got the appeal. But I do remember going in um, after my record came out, getting the fun fair and getting in the waltzer and then hearing my track. Oh, you've made <laughs> it. just think, yeah, I've made it, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. So oh, I, brilliant. how did you get on at school? Did you enjoy it? Um, primary school, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's really nice. Um, the only thing was, was by then I was living in Golders Green, and all the kids who went there lived in um, Hampstead, so it would take me a bit longer to get home. So the next day, all the kids at school would talk about this TV show that they watched as soon as they got home, which of course I'd missed it completely. Yeah. So suddenly I felt really kind of like, like I was part of it but kind of separate at the same time it's the first time I started feeling a bit like other yeah Yeah. a bit other just for no reason other than I lived slightly further yeah and didn't know about this show and what about secondary school secondary school what happened was was um cut a long story short my um my mum got quite ill and she um she went into hospital and um before that, she'd gone bankrupt. She'd lost her business. She was trying to bring up two kids. My father had remarried. So um, it was really difficult. We, we suddenly become ha- homeless, and I was putting the kids home. Um, wow. How old bar. I was 10 years old. I was putting this kids home. You are talking Potter's about this? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Fine, yeah. Um, so I was, I was there, and it was, it was kind of like a halfway house for Borstal kids. So the Borstal kids would come out and stay there. And, um, yeah, me and my brother put that. And on the first day, I remember making friends with a kid. And he said, y- you know, you're going to get in a lot of trouble unless you start a fight with someone. Um, you, you know, you better show them that you're, you're, you're tough. You're, start a fight with someone. So I thought, oh, okay. I better start a fight. But I can't pick on someone little. I better pick on someone big. So I picked on someone big. Got the crap beat out of me. <laughs> and they loved me after that. <laughs> Everyone loved me. And it wow. was it was all right. Um so it was, it was kind of like an adventure, but at the same time, it was a fun... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's a nightmare, a complete nightmare. My mum was ill. With you know, she'd kind of lost everything when she went bankrupt, but in that now we'd truly lost everything. We lost our family. You know, my father had remarried. I couldn't go and live with him. My me and my brother couldn't go and live with him. So he enrolled us for this school called Wolverstone Hall, which was in um, Suffolk near Ipswich, and it was known as the Poor Man's Eton, <laughs> and it was kind of like for kids from um, London. Uh, some of whom, you know, came from broken homes and from, you know, troubled backgrounds. Um, and it was very academic. You had to sit a test and pass the test to get into it. And like an 11 plus type thing. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. And it was, it was um, known as a social experiment, which is why they call it the poor man's eaten. They wanted to see if they gave the opportunity to kids from London that didn't quite have the money to go to a, pl- but were, but a place were like, yeah, but were bright, yeah. to go to a place run exactly like Eton, what would happen to these kids? So that's where I got sent to. And, um, and your brother as well. And my brother as well, yeah. And at that point in time... Sorry, was that a boarding school? That was a boarding school, yeah. yeah. At that point in time, it's the most amazing thing for me. Suddenly... I had a safe place where I could have three meals a day. I had um, a, a, a two, two drawers I could put things in. I didn't have anything, so I collected all these bus tickets. And I'd keep the bus tickets in a little box. And that was my possessions, my entire possessions. And I loved it. I just worked really hard. I got A's in everything. And it was fantastic. And the only nightmare was when the school holidays came, because then you'd have to go back to London... And you didn't know where you were going to be. And sometimes you'd be on someone's sofa. This was still, what, in the care system? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I suppose, uh, yeah, it was... Well, my, my father was looking after us. He was, he was basically trying to put us in places. Sometimes it would be with a friend. Right, he'd, um, okay. he'd give them the money to feed yeah. us and stuff. Um, one time he couldn't find any way. He put me and my brother in the bed and breakfast. 
and he gave us money for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Not all bad then. Yeah, so <laughs> we we were just left to fend for ourselves. And wow, and how old was, you then? I was 11. That's so fucking crazy, isn't it? It's crazy when I look back on it. So I, was, I would just take that Kentucky Fried Chicken money and I'd go at the West End and I'd just go and see loads of movies. Um, and that was my escape from this kind of nightmare world that suddenly I'd been thrown into. Um, I'd go from movie to movie to movie and just see all these things like um, Barry Lyndon and uh, uh, just anything, anything that was new, you know. There's escapism and... Yeah, it's, it didn't matter what the film was. I'd just go and see it and I became a real film addict. And yeah, I hated... The, the holidays. And, and, and also, I'd wander, uh, wander around the red light district and just think, you know, I, I felt really kind of fascinated by the red light district yeah. for some reason. And I felt kind of safe there. And you'd, you would have guys who came up and went, you know, they'd see you and they'd go, hey, baby, do you want a home? And you'd be just like, okay, they're dodgy, don't, don't respond to them. You know, but at the same time, you were kind of thinking, Oh, at least someone's paying attention to me. But thank God, nothing untoward happened. Yeah. You know, and, th- and I look back at it now, and I just think, you know, that was really dodgy. You know, um, think, you know, the red light district. You know, I, 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 back then, I imagine must have been a pretty crazy place, right? Because it's it was. Know. I just remember it being a weird mixture of. Um, businessmen who'd be looking in all those shop windows, um, couples sometimes, you know, Dirty Mac Brigade, junkies. Great name for a band. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a real mixture, and it, and it wasn't all kind of, um, you know, there were some people that you'd, you'd see were quite dressed up nicely, and, you know, it, it seemed to have a... I just remember it having a really interesting vibe. So, so I imagine this was pre... Punk. Yeah, this was pre-punk. And right. then what happened was, um, one time I was staying at my Auntie Amy's with my brother. And my brother had got into punk. And he, you know, we had a little kind of little dance, portable, you know, stereo thing. Um, and he'd be buying these punk records. And I just remember thinking, you know, I, didn't, I thought punk was a fad. I didn't really think much of it. And I was all on my own one day. And it was dark. And I was feeling hating the world and feeling angry at the world. And I thought, let me just check out these punk records and I looked through them and I just went by the titles I was like Piss Factory Patty Smith this sounds like it might be alright I put on Piss Factory and that completely I listened to it and it's just her and the piano her ranting over piano and um, she's talking about how she's working in the factory and she you know it's to her it's a piss factory and she just works so hard but one day she's going to get out and she's going to run away and she's going to go to New York City and she's going to be someone and she's going to be so big just watch me now and shivers ran down my spine and I just thought oh my god this is talking to me like I'm, I'm, I'm in the piss factory this this you know this world is a piss factory for me it's um you know, and I've got to get out. I've got to get out and do something. And then I, I just thought, this, that record's amazing. I had shivers run down my spine. I'd never had a record affect me like that so much. And I thought, let me play something else. And I kept playing these records, and each one was amazing. The Ramones, and then, you know, the adverts, and the, the Buzzcocks. And I was just like, wow, these, these records are brilliant. And I'd heard them before, but I'd not listened to them properly. Was it, was it the sort of aggression and anger that was resonating? Yeah, it was the aggression and anger, but it wasn't just aggression and anger it was it was really poetic and 
And I, th- I always thought, you know, punk is a bit like, yeah, destroy, destroy. It was actually really intelligent, the lyrics. Yeah. I was listening to them for the first time, and I thought, I thought, okay, I've got to put on the Sex Pistols. This is going to be the final decider. Let me put on God Save the Queen, which I'd heard before and didn't, didn't think much of it. And I put it on, and it just sounded like I'd, I'd never heard that record like that before because I was listening fully. And by the end, Johnny Rotten was going, no future, no future, no future for you. And I just felt shivers going down my spine. And the way I interpreted it was, there's no future for you unless you get up and do something about it. That's how I interpreted it. I didn't in- interpret it as a nihilistic thing. Yeah. It was, it was, for me, it's really positive. Um, so straight away, my brother came home and I said, Joe... I want to be a punk. I want to come to these gigs with you. And he started taking me to... Joe was older. Yeah. Yeah. He started taking me to these gigs like at the music machine. We went to see The Clash and Suicide and stuff like that. The Damned and... Um, what was you wearing then, Mark? I, I, I made a homemade T-shirt, which I'd written all the names of the bands I liked and chains and safety pins. It looked pathetic, but, yeah. <laughs> but it didn't matter because when you're DIY, that young, right? yeah. when you're that young, you, you look you look cute anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> and you know, everyone just thought, oh, he looks so sweet, you know. Um, so, so, how old was you when you was going to these shows? I was going. To, I think the first show must have been thirteen. Wow. Was it thirteen? Yeah, thirteen. But I imagine. Yeah. You must have been a mature thirteen-year-old if you're living in B and B's at eleven on your yeah, own. Yeah, I, I felt I felt really grown up. Did you feel streetwise? I felt, I felt streetwise. Yeah, I did, but I probably wasn't as straight streetwise as I thought I was. Yeah, <laughs> um, and yeah, so my brother would take me. And then after a while, my brother said, "Look, you, you're kind of cramping my style. Uh, you know, we can't get these gigs together." Yeah. So he would leave to go to the gig and I'd leave half an hour after him. What, to go to the same gig? To go gig? to the same gig, <laughs> yeah. And we'd kind of see each other at the gig. We'd walk past each other, nod at each other. <laughs> and we'd just carry on walking. But you weren't allowed to talk to him or anything. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I started making my own friends. And, you know, and um, you know, then he kind of went off to university and, and I, I carried on, you know, going to gigs. And I'd stay at the punk squats. I'd, I'd, I met a couple of punks who had squats and stuff and I'd stay there. Was that squat scene rife? Yeah, it was really good. Um, just lo- yeah, there's loads of people. Who, some of the people I still see now. One of, yeah. one of them, she was the queen punk of the King's Cross squats. And I just, I always loved her and admired her. Just thought, oh my God, she's amazing. And it turned out to be um, Joe Garn. She married um, Dave Garn from Depeche Mode. Really? <laughs> and a, yeah, and she's got this lovely kid who looks exactly like mini Dave Garn. And um, I still see Joe now. And it was, it was bizarre because I bumped into her years later. And she was going, oh, I remember you from the punk days. And I was like, yeah, I didn't recognise her. And it wasn't until she showed me old pictures of herself. I was going, oh, my God, you're the girl I, I fell in love with back then. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, so it was... I so was you, uh, go on, sorry, Mark. Go on. I was going to these gigs. And then, then I went back to school. And of course, previously I loved school and I hated the school holidays, but it all flipped round after yeah. that. I hated school. I just, it was keeping me away from all these punk gigs and from music. I hated it and I couldn't wait to get back to London. And sometimes I'd run away for a gig and, um, and yeah, so I stopped studying at school and all my A's turned into like D's and E's and, <laughs> and eventually I was asked to leave the school because I kept causing too much trouble, which was fantastic. I was so happy. Um, yeah, and I just carried on going to gigs and stuff. So in, in that kind of punk community, was you finding almost like a, 
a little family. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you felt a connection to that. I felt a connection. Um, I felt people accepted me, you know, just as I was. And you know, I, I was I was super shy, and I still I still can be super shy. But I was so super shy. Um, but you know, it kind of. It helped bring myself out of my shell a bit, and people accepted you how you were. They didn't care that you were, you were, you know, you didn't have to fit in really. The more, the the less you fit it, fit in, the more people liked you. Yeah. So it was great, um, and also I met a lot of the people around then. You know, I was um, I, Mick Jones and all that lot. Um, so they were accessible. Yeah, everyone was really accessible, and I, I used to go around John Lydon's house. Someone, some school friends told me, oh, we know where John Lydon lives. And also Sid Vicious. I went around Sid Vicious's house. Nancy Spungen opened the door. Uh, they were adorable. I just thought, you know, I went with my mate and we just thought, oh, well, they, must have just, they must have had a late night. They seem really sleepy. <laughs> Didn't know about heroin, you know. <laughs> had a lot of late nights, I think. Um, and they were lovely. They gave us like all this, uh, they, you know, um, they were, she was going, oh, Sid, they're real fans. We have to give them something. And we got bondage trousers, you know, which we could never afford in a million years. Um, Sid Vicious gave you yeah, bondage which trousers. which I still have. Really? <laughs> I still have them, yeah. That's amazing. And, we, uh, and I'd go around um, Johnny Rotten's house, John Lydon's house. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think by then, this, when I went around his, it was just before his forming public image. Um, and he was great. He he really, he didn't speak. You know, he didn't. He wasn't condescending. He just kind of let let you in and chatted and made you feel like you were important. Do you know what I mean? Or, or that you weren't invisible. Because that's that's the thing when you're in the care system. You you just feel like you've dropped dropped off the radar a bit, and you you feel like you're not part of the world or invisible, or or that you're important enough to be talked to. Yeah. You know. So yeah, he he was great. And it, was, it became really clear really quickly that he was the brains of the yeah. Sex Pistols, you know. Sid was lovely, don't yeah. get me wrong, but to me, Johnny Rotten was the, was the yeah, one. Yeah, starting to say, didn't yeah. they? John Lydon, yeah. Okay, so, which brings us on nicely to, to track four, which is, uh, I asked you to, to tell me what the first record you bought was. Uh, well, I kind of lied a bit. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> because, well, the, the, the first record I really bought was when I was a kid. Yeah. And it was uh, Remember You're a Womble. Brilliant. <laughs> but the first record I bought when I knew what I was doing. Yeah. Um, because my brother always bought the records, so I didn't need to buy them. Mm. But then there came a point where I thought, actually... I need my own collection. So I went and bought X-Ray Specs, um, The Day the World Turned Day Glow, on orange vinyl. Lovely. <laughs> and, yeah, amazing. Um, what a track. Yeah, and what's weird is I can still sing along. I still remember all the words to all those songs. I think that's... Um, and I find it really hard to remember words to new songs now. It's terrible. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry. It won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks 
Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. The, the thing that I get is, which I think people aren't going to, or maybe they'll get if they have Spotify playlists, but for me, if I had like mixtapes that are rinsed, if I hear a certain song and when it finishes, I still expect that song from that mixtape oh, or yeah. that compilation album to come on next. And that, <laughs> and that, that never happened. Um, so how old was you when you bought that? Oh, God, how old was that then? Was it four? What year was that? Must be 13 again. 13, 14, I don't know. So yeah. that must have been way before, you know, people were buying records in supermarkets. That would have been, I guess, a big time for independent record shops. And Yeah. So can you remember where you bought it? I bought it in Ipswich. I remember there was a, a record shop there that sold stuff. Yeah. Um... And I just remember I, I'd, I'd seen X-Ray Specs play at the Hope and Anchor Pub, and and I loved um, Polly Styring. Uh, you know, she was just this amazing girl. You know, with braces on her teeth and um, multiracial, um, like myself. You know, I was I was, I was called myself mixed blood, <laughs> but um, um, she, you know, and she just had had a great look about her. She was fantastic. Yeah. And she had that voice, this this mad piercing voice, which was just like you'd never heard anything like it. Yeah. Um, and you know, and you couldn't really make out what the words were saying, but luckily they had them printed on the back of the cover. So, was was you starting to kind of enjoy sort of crate digging for vinyl and and things like that at that? Yeah, I I started collecting. Uh, I guess I started off collecting punk records, but at the same time, that made me want to collect all the stuff I loved from the past, which, which meant James Brown and Atlantic and Stax and da-da-da and all that, those funky sounds that uh, um, I, you know, I'd heard growing up. Um, so, yeah, I started collecting. From, that's what triggered me. Yeah. So was there anything to kind of... Was that something that you'd, you'd talk to your punk mates about or, or would you talk punk to your punk mates or would you, you know, be quite comfortable to talk about? For the first couple of years, you, you talk punk to yeah. your punk mates <laughs> and you wouldn't tell them that you had any disco records. Yeah. Um, but I was a certain age, I think. I think, you know, the punks that were maybe a few years older, they didn't, probably didn't have that problem. But I think by the time I, because I got into punk a little bit later, I think almost like these rules had been set in stone and to be honest it didn't take long for me to figure out actually these rules where you can only listen to punk these rules aren't punk yeah. they're, they're, they're not what punk is about and uh, you know you soon got the hang of that and it's like yeah I can listen to what the hell I want really after a while but you didn't have the confidence then uh, I think at that early age because you're still trying to fit in with the, yeah. you know, the, the people you, you, who you think are a bit older than you because yeah. they were a bit older you know yeah um, and then soon it became apparent that uh, actually no, you know I, I really like Funky Town. Oh, you like Funky Town too? Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a dirty little secret anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, um, at which point did I mean sort of to move it forward a few years before we get to your next track? At what point did you start thinking, oh, I, I wouldn't mind getting involved in music? Um. I always wanted to just somehow be on the records. And I remember my, my friends were in, in 23 Skidoo. And, um, 
this is a bit later on, you know, um, I, I knew them from, from when I went to Barnet College. Um, and I remember thinking that, you know, telling them, yeah, can I do hand claps on your record? <laughs> that was, and I thought, that's it, I'll be able to do hand claps on the record. Um, it was always... It was always something I thought, well, actually, through punk, you know, it's all about getting up and doing it. And I was seeing bands like Throbbing Gristle, who were like all non-musicians, um, and making experimental music. So in the back of my mind, I always thought, yeah, I, I can do this. But I never actually did it. I, I, I had a band at, at, when I was at college. We did one gig, and that was it. We were called Fellini. <laughs> we were kind of a bit, a bit experimental. Um, and what did, what did you do in that? Uh, I, I kind of made these tape tape noises, tape loops, and stuff, and played uh, really badly. Played a keyboard. <laughs> and hand claps, obviously. And hand claps, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. If we move on past punk, then, and and you, you just mentioned Throbbing Gristle, and and so if we start to I, I guess you're what, 16? Yeah, well, I think, so hang on, so I got chucked out of school, and then I went to Barnet College. What did you study there? Um, I studied film studies, computers, and I can't remember what the other thing was. And I, I quickly dropped out because I was going out every night. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of dropped out, and everyone thought, oh God, what have you done? So was electronic music starting to kind of that's the thing move no. on from punk and when the Sex Pistols split up um, was that seventy eight mm. early seventy eight um, everyone declared punk dead which was the best thing that could have happened to punk because it you know suddenly it was a uniform and it was this and it was yeah. that and there was rules and it shouldn't have been about the rules um, so we were going to see all these bands like Throbbing Gristle like and buying records like um, the normal uh, warm leatherette TVOD. Um, yeah, and, and Joy Division. And to us, it was still punk. All this stuff was punk. TV, you know, Warm Leatherette was punk. What a record. Um, and, yeah, thank goodness for the, you know, they said punk is dead, because it meant punk could carry on being individual in its own way. And, all, yeah, it, for me, punk carried on for a while after that. You know. Did you hear something in electronic music yes. that you didn't hear in punk, although it's the same ethos yeah. of, of attitude yeah. that you, you mentioned just then, like, yeah. but did you hear something in electronic music that maybe gave you something Yeah, there was something, something about electronic music that, that um, I, I, guess, I guess there was a, uh, a futuristic feel to it, but at the same time, I think, I think our gener my generation, we were brought up on this really weird electronic music on yeah. children's TV shows yeah. by the Radiophonic, BBC Radiophonic Orchestra. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, tons of weird stuff. Uh, when you listen back to some of it, some of it's quite spooky, quite yeah. throbbing gristle. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, um, these are uh, TV, uh, children's shows. Yeah. yeah. And a Clockwork Orange come out? Clockwork Orange, Wendy Carlos. I mean, yeah. fucking hell, that's some serious yeah, music there, isn't yeah. it? And, and it does sound otherworldly, right? Yeah. And it's... So there was something about electronic music that was really, um, I don't know, it just, it just really got me going in the same way that punk had got me going. Um, you know, and of course you were exploring people like Kraftwerk and, you know, there was this band that just released a single called Being Boiled called The Human League and they were this like really arty band and you used to go and see them and kind of stroke your chin and kind of be really serious as you're watching them. So as, as someone that had 
at, at kind of his formative years in the, in the London punk scene with that kind of Bromley contingent. And yeah. what, how accessible were these bands from Sheffield and, you know, you know like Thorby Grissel and... Were Thorby yeah. Sheffield, were they? Uh, no, Thorby Grissel or London. Yeah. London. Um, I'm thinking of Cabaret Voltaire. Cabaret Voltaire, yeah. Sheffield, and, Human League. And Human yeah. League, yeah. yeah. So, like... How accessible were they? Would you travel up there or would you, you wait I'd, for them to come down here? Yeah, I'd wait for them to come down here. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Actually, yeah, I, never, I never spoke to them um, at all, which, which you probably could have easily have done that. Yeah. But, but I, I didn't for some reason. <laughs> um, but I did get to um, speak to Throb and Gristle and stuff, uh, mainly because my friend, um, a guy called Womble... <laughs> Great name. As we called him. Uh, lived in Bethnal Green, and we'd walk past Genesis Peoridge's house. And um, he'd go, oh, Genesis lives here. Um, and, you know, we knew the records, and we'd yeah. been to the gigs. And, and so we'd go through his dustbins and find all this amazing stuff that he chucked out. <laughs> like... Like a womble. Like, yeah, like a womble, <laughs> exactly. And we'd find this kind of artwork and... Oh, really? A little bit of pornography and a yeah. bit of this and a bit of that. And then one day, they, um, him and his wife caught us and they said, oh, it's you that's been going through the bins. <laughs> and they invited us in for a cup of tea. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, I don't think you probably get that response from Ed yeah. Sheeran nowadays, would you? <laughs> Come in, have a cup of tea. Well, Let's thing, talk about the porn in me dustbin. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was so... You know, people were... Accessible, accessible then, and I just remember, you know, it just made you, it just made you think, okay, when I when I get older, I'm not going to be a wanker, <laughs> basically. It's, um, you know, I remember going going around, um, you know, I, uh, again, it was school friends that would always say, yeah. oh yeah, we know where Mick Jones lives, we know, yeah. you know da da da. We went around Mick Jones's place one time, and he wasn't there, but his gran was there, his granny. And she was like, oh, you look amazing, come on in. And she gave us a cup of tea. It's, um, it's me and my friend Sonia. Gave us a cup of tea, pulled out the photo album, showed me, this is Mick when he was 10, and this is like... That's amazing. And then, yeah, and then, and then um, I mean, you know, I guess I could get away with knocking on... We could get away with knocking on people's doors then, because we were like 13, 14, 15. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, totally you, non-threatening. You wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. do that when you're 19, perhaps, yeah. you know. But... Um, Anyway, so, yeah, um, when I met Mick properly, he was like, oh, you went round my grand's house. <laughs> and even now, even now he tells people, yeah, Mark went round my grand's house. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> well, just what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break here. I'm going to change the batteries in the, in the recorder. Yeah. And, uh, and then we're going to come back with track five and we're going to talk oh, about yes. um, clubbing and, and yeah. obviously uh, your, your career. Yep. starting to sort of unfold within music uh-huh. so uh, let's, we'll be back in two secs cool there you go that's the end of part one what a lovely guy right listen I'm not going to give you any more waffle and, and try and sell you anything I'm just going to say part two is out now go and have a listen it's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.